irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. Modern submarines are cigar-shaped. This design, visible in early submarines, is sometimes called a teardrop hull. It reduces the hydrodynamic drag when submerged, but decreases the sea-keeping capabilities and increases drag while surfaced. Since the limitations of the propulsion system of early submarines forced them to operate surface most of the time, their hull designs were a compromise. Because of the slow, submerged speeds of those bulb subs, usually well below 10 knots or 18 kilometers per hour, the increased drag for underwater travel was acceptable. Late in World War II, when technology allowed faster and longer submerged operations and increased aircraft surveillance forced submarines to stay submerged, hull designs became teardrop-shaped, again to reduce drag and noise. On modern military submarines, the outer hull is covered with a layer of sound-absorbing rubber, or NA-ECHO plating, to reduce detection. The occupied pressure hull of deep diving submarines, such as the deep-sea vehicle Alvin, are spherical instead of cylindrical. This allows a more even distribution of stress at greater depth. A titanium frame is usually affixed to the pressure hull, providing attachment for ballast and trim systems, scientific instrumentation, battery packs, synthetic flotation foam, and lighting. A raised tower on top of a submarine accommodates the periscope and electronics masts, which can include radio, radar, electronic warfare, 
and other systems, including the snorkel mask. In many early classes of submarines, the control room, or con, was located inside this tower, which was known as the conning tower. Since then, the con has been located within the hull of the submarine, and the tower is now called the sail. The con is distinct from the bridge, a small open platform in the top of the sail, used for observation during surface operations. Bathtubs are related to conning towers, but are used on smaller submarines. The bathtub is a metal cylinder surrounding the hatch that prevents waves from breaking directly into the cabin. It is needed because the surface submarines have limited freeboard, that is, they lie low in the water. Bathtubs help prevent swamping the vessel. Modern submarines and submersibles, as well as the oldest ones, usually have a single hull. Large submarines generally have an additional hull or hull sections outside. This external hull, which actually forms the shape of the submarine, is called the outer hull, or light hull, as it does not have to withstand a pressure difference. Inside the outer hull, is, there is a strong hull, or a pressure hull, which does withstand sea pressure and has normal atmospheric pressure inside. As early as World War I, it was realized that the optimal shape for withstanding pressure conflicted with the optimal shape for sea keeping and minimal drag, and construction difficulties further complicated the problem. This was solved either by a compromised shape or by using two holes, internal for holding pressure and external for optimal shape. Until the end of World War II, most submarines had an additional partial cover on the top, bow and stern, built of thinner steel, which was flooded when submerged. Germany went further with their Type 21, a general predecessor of modern submarines, in which the pressure hull was fully enclosed inside a light hull, but optimized for submerged navigation, unlike earlier designs that were optimized for surface operations. After World War II, approaches split. The Soviet Union changed its design, basing them on German developments. All post-World War II heavy Soviet and Russian submarines are built with a double hull structure. American and most other Western submarines switched primarily to single hull approach. They still have light hull sections in the bow and stern, which house main ballast tanks and provide a hydrodynamic optimized shape. But the main centrical hull section has only a single plating layer. The double hulls are being considered for future submarines in the United States Navy to improve payload capacity, stealth, and range. The pressure hull is generally constructed of a thick, high steel strength steel with complex structure and high strength reserve, and is separated with a watertight bulkheads into several components. 
There are also examples of more than two hulls in a submarine, like the Typhoon class, which has two main pressure hulls and three smaller ones for control room, torpedoes, and steering gear, with the missile launch system between the main hulls. The dive depth of a submarine cannot be increased easily. Simply making the hull thicker increases the weight and requires reduction of onboard equipment weight, ultimately resulting in a bathscape. This is acceptable for civilian research submersibles, but not for military submarines. World War I submarines had hulls of carbon steel with a 100-meter or 330-foot maximum depth. During World War II, high-strength alloy steel was introduced, allowing a doubling at 200-meter or 660 feet of depth. High-strength alloy steel remains the primary material for a submarine today, with 250 to 400 meter, which is 820 to 1300 foot depths, which cannot be exceeded on a military submarine without design compromises. To exceed that limit, a few submarines were built with the titanium hulls. Titanium can be stronger than steel, lighter, and is not ferromagnetic, important for stealth. Titanium submarines were built by the Soviet Union, which developed specialized high-strength alloys. It has produced several types of titanium submarines. Titanium allows a major increase in depth, but other systems must be redesigned to cope. So, TESP's depth was limited to 1,000 meters, or 3,300 feet, for Soviet submarine K-278, the Cosmolets, the deepest diving combat submarine. It is an Alpha-class submarine that may have successfully operated at 1,300 meters, or 4,300 feet. Remember that American subs can only go to 1,300 feet maximum. Though continuous operations at such depth would produce excessive stress on many submarine systems, titanium does not flex as readily as steel and may become brittle during many dive cycles. Despite its benefits, the high cost of titanium constructed construction led to the abandonment of titanium submarine construction as the Cold War ended. Deep diving civilian submarines have used thick acrylic pressure hulls. The deepest deep submerged vehicle, or DSV, to date is the Trest. On October 5, 1959, the Trest departed San Diego for Guam aboard the freighter Santa Maria to participate in Project Necton, a series of very deep dives in the Mariana Trench. On January 23, 1960, the Trist reached the ocean floor in the Challenger Deep, the deepest southern part of the Mariana Trench, carrying Jacques Picard, son of Auguste, and Lieutenant Don Walsh of the U.S. Navy. 
This was the first time a vessel manned or unmanned had reached the deepest point in the Earth's ocean. Though the onboard system indicated a depth of 11,521 meters, or 37,799 feet, although it was later revised to slightly less at 10,916 meters, or 35,814 feet, and more accurate measurements made in 1995, have found the Challenger Deep just a little bit shallower at 10,911 meters or 35,797 feet. So in 95, it went uh, two feet shallower. Building a pressure hull is difficult and it must withstand pressures at its required diving depth. When the hull is perfectly round in cross-section, the pressure is evenly distributed and causes only hull compression. If the shape is not perfect, the hull is bent, with several points heavily strained. Inevitable minor deviations are resisted by stiffener rings, but even a one-inch deviation from the roundness results in over 30% decrease in maximal hydrostatic load and consequently dive depth. Therefore, the hull must be constructed with high precision. All hull parts must be welded without defects and all joints are checked multiple times with different methods. Contributing to the high cost of modern submarines All this extra safety is very expensive. For example, each Virginia class attack submarine costs $2.6 billion. That's over $200,000 per ton of displacement. Originally, submarines were human propelled. The first mechanically driven submarine was the 1863 French Plaguer, which used compressed air for propulsion. Anaerobic propulsion was first employed by the Spanish Incintio II in 1864, which used a solution of zinc, manganese dioxide, and potassium chlorate to generate sufficient heat to power a steam engine, while also providing oxygen for the crew. A similar system was not employed again until 1940, when the German Navy tested a hydrogen peroxide-based system, the Walter Turbine, on an experimental V-80 submarine, and later on the naval U-79-1 and Type 17 submarines. Until the advent of nuclear marine propulsion, most 20th century submarines use batteries for running underwater, and gasoline or diesel engines on the surface for, and for battery charging. Early submarines used gasoline, but this quickly gave way to kerosene, then diesel, because of the reduced flammability of diesel. Diesel electric became the standard means of propulsion, 
the diesel or gasoline engine and the electric motor, separated by clutches, were initially on the same shaft driving the propeller. This allowed the engine to drive the electric motor as the generator to recharge the batteries and also to propel the disengaged, the submarine when disengaged. The clutch between the motor and the engine would be disengaged when the submarine dived so that the motor could drive the propeller. The motor could have multiple armatures on the shaft, which could be electrically coupled in series for slow speed and in parallel for high speed. These connections were called group down and group up, respectively. Early submarines used a direct mechanical connection between the engine and propeller, switching between diesel engines for servicing and battery-driven electric motors when submerged. In 1928, the United States Navy's Bureau of Engineering proposed a diesel-electric transmission. Instead of driving the propeller directly while running on the surface, the submarine's diesel drove a generator that could either charge the submarine's batteries or drive the electric motor. This made electric motor speed independent of diesel engine speed, so the diesel engine could run at an optimum and non-critical speed. One or more diesel engines could be shut down for maintenance while the submarine continued to run on the remaining engine or battery power. The U.S. pioneered this concept in 1929 in the S-Class submarines S-3, S-6, and S-7. The first production submarines with this system were the Porpoise class of the 1930s, and it was used on most subsequent U.S. submarines with this system, where the Porpoise class of the 1930s diesel submarines through the 1960s. No other Navy adopted this system before 1945, apart from the Royal Navy's U-class submarines, although some submarines of the Imperial Japanese Navy used separate diesel generators for low-speed running. Other advantages of such an arrangement were that a submarine could travel slowly with the engines at full power to recharge the batteries quickly, reduce time on the surface or on snorkel. It was then possible to isolate the noisy diesel engines from the pressure hull, making the submarine quieter. Additionally, diesel-electric transmissions were much more compact. During World War II, German Type 21 submarines, also known as Elektroboot, were the first submarines designed to operate submerged for extended periods. Initially, they were to carry hydrogen peroxide for long-term, fast air-independent propulsion, but were ultimately built with very large batteries instead. At the end of the war, the British and Soviets experimented with hydrogen peroxide or kerosene engines that would run surfaced and submerged. These results were not encouraging, though the Soviet Union deployed a class of submarines with this engine type, codenamed Quebec by NATO, they were considered unsuccessful. 
The United States also used hydrogen peroxide in experimental midget submarine X-1. It was originally powered by hydrogen peroxide slash diesel engine and battery system until an explosion of her hydrogen peroxide supply on May 20th, 1957. X-1 was later converted to use diesel electric drive. Much safer. Today, several navies use air-independent propulsions. Notably, Sweden uses Stirling technology on the Gotland-class and the Saldermanland-class submarines. The Stirling engine is heated by burning diesel fuel with liquid oxygen for cryogenic tanks. A newer development in air-independent propulsion is hydrogen fuel cells, first used on the German Type 212 submarine with nine 34-kilowatt or two 120-kilowatt cells and soon to be used in the new Spanish S-80-class submarines. So, hydrogen fuel cells might be the way of the future. Steam power was resurrected in the 1950s with nuclear-powered steam turbine-driven turbine-driving a generator. By eliminating the need for atmospheric oxygen, the length of time that a modern submarine could remain submerged was limited only by its food stores, as breathing air was recycled and fresh water distilled from seawater. More importantly, a nuclear submarine has unlimited range at top speed. This allows it to travel from its operating base to the combat zone in a much shorter time and makes it a far more difficult target for most anti-submarine weapons. Nuclear-powered submarines have a relatively small battery and diesel engine generator power plant for emergency use if the reactors must be shut down. Nuclear power is now used in all large submarines, but due to high costs and large size of nuclear reactors, smaller submarines still use diesel-electric propulsion. The ratio of larger to smaller submarines depends on strategic needs. The U.S. Navy, French Navy, and British Royal Navy operate only nuclear submarines, which is explained by the need for distant operations. Other major operators rely on a mix of nuclear submarines for strategic purposes and diesel-electric submarines for defense. Most fleets have no nuclear submarines due to the limited availability of nuclear power and submarine technology. Diesel-electric submarines have a stealth advantage over their nuclear counterparts. Nuclear submarines generate noise from coolant pumps and turbo machinery needed to operate the reactor, even at low power levels. Some nuclear submarines, such as the American Ohio class, can operate with their reactor coolant pumps secured, making them quieter than electric subs. A conventional submarine operating on batteries is almost completely silent, the only noise coming from the shaft bearings, propeller, and flow noise around the hull, all of which stops when the sub hovers in mid-water to listen, leaving only the noise from the crew activity. Commercial submarines usually rely only on batteries, since they never 
operate independently of a mothership. Several serious nuclear and radiation accidents have involved nuclear submarine mishaps. The Soviet submarine K-19 reactor accident in 1961 resulted in eight deaths and more than 30 other people were overexposed to radiation. The Soviet submarine K-27 reactor accident in 1968 resulted in nine fatalities and 83 other injuries. The Soviet submarine K-431 accident in 1985 resulted in 10 fatalities and 49 other people suffered radiation injuries. Oil-fired steam turbines powered the British K-class submarines built during World War I, and later to give them the surface speed to keep up with the battle fleet. The K-class subs were not very successful, however. Towards the end of the 20th century, some submarines, such as the British Vanguard-class, began to be fitted with pump jet propulsors instead of propellers. Though these are heavier and more expensive and less efficient than the propeller, they are significantly quieter, providing an important tactical advantage. Magneto-hydrodynamic drive, or MHD, was portrayed as the operating principle behind the titular submarine's nearly silent propulsion system in the film adaptation, The Hunt for Red October. However, in the novel, the Red October did not use magnetic hydromagnetic drive, but rather something more similar to the above-mentioned pump jet. Although experimental surface ships have been used, this system, speeds have been below expectation. In addition, the drive system can induce bubble formation, compromising stealth, and the low efficiency requires high-powered reactors. These factors make it unlikely for military usage. The success of the submarine is inextricably linked with the development of the torpedo, invented by Robert Whitehead in 1866. His invention is essentially the same now as it was 140 years ago. Only with self-propelled torpedoes could the submarine make the leap from novelty to weapon of war. Until the perfection of the guided torpedo, multiple straight-running torpedoes were required to attack the target, with at most 20 to 25 torpedoes stored on board. The number of attacks was limited. To increase combat endurance, most World War I submarines functioned as submersible gunboats, using their deck guns against unarmed targets and diving to escape and engage more enemy warships. The importance of guns encouraged the development of the unsuccessful submarine cruiser, such as the French Surcouf and the Royal Navy's X-1 and M-class submarines. With the arrival of anti-submarine warfare, also known as ASW, aircraft guns became more and more for defense than for attack. 
A more practical method of increasing combat endurance was the external torpedo tube, loaded only in, in port. The ability of submarines to approach enemy harbors covertly led to their use as mine layers. Mine laying submarines of World War I and World War II were specially built for this purpose. Modern submarines laid mines, such as the British Mark V Stonefish and Mark VI Sea Urchin, can deploy a, via a submarine's torpedo tubes as many mines as they need. After World War II, both the U.S. and the USSR experimented with submarine-launched cruise missiles, such as the SSMN-8 Regulus and the P-5 Pytacoria. Such missiles required the submarine to surface to fire its missiles. They were the forerunners of modern submarine-launched cruise missiles, which can be fired from the torpedo tubes of submerged submarines. For example, the U.S. BGM-109 Tomahawk and Russian RPK-2 Vigya and versions of surface-to-surface anti-missile ship missiles such as the Exocet and Harpoon encapsulated for submarine launch. Ballistic missiles can also be fired from a submarine's torpedo tubes. For example, missiles such as the anti-submarine Subrock with internal volume as limited as ever and the desire to carry heavier warloads, the idea of external launch tubes was revived, usually for encapsulated missiles, with such tubes being placed between the internal pressure hull and the outer streamline hull. The strategic mission of the SSM-N8 and the P-5 were taken up by submarine-launched ballistic missiles, beginning with the U.S. Navy's Polaris missile and subsequently the Poseidon and Trident missiles. Germany is working on the torpedo tube launched short-ranged IDAS missile, which can be used against anti-surface warfare helicopters as well as surface ships and coastal targets. A submarine can have a variety of sensors. Depending on its missions, modern military submarines rely almost entirely on a suite of passive and active sonars to find targets. Active sonar relies on an audible ping to generate echoes to reveal objects around the submarine. Active systems are rarely used, as doing so reveals the sub's presence. Passive sonar is a set of sensitive hydrophones set into the hull or trailed in a towered array, generally several hundred feet long. The tower array is the mainstream of NATO submarine detection systems as it reduces the flow noise heard by operators. Hull-mounted sonar is employed to back up the tower array and in confined waters where obstacles could foul a a towed array. Submarines also carry radar equipment to detect surface ships and aircraft. Submarine captains are more likely to use radar detection gear than active radar to detect targets, as radar can be detected far beyond its own return range, revealing the submarine. 
Periscopes are rarely used, except for position fixes and to verify contact identity. Civilian submarines such as the deep sea vehicle Alvin or the Russian Mir submersibles rely on small active sonar sets and viewing ports to navigate. The human eye cannot detect sunlight below about 300 feet or 100 meters underwater, so high-intensity lights are used to illuminate the viewing area. Early submarines had few navigation aids, but modern subs have a variety of navigation aids. Modern military submarines use an internal guidance system for navigation while submerged, but drift error unavoidably builds over time. To counter this, the crew occasionally uses the GPS system to obtain an accurate position. The periscope, a retractable tube with a prison system that provides a view of the surface, is only used occasionally in modern submarines since the visible range is short. The Virginia-class and Astute-class submarines use photonics masts rather than hull-penetrating optical periscopes. These masts must still be deployed above the surface and use electronic sensors for visible light, infrared, laser range finding, and electromagnetic surveillance. One benefit to hosting the mast above the surface is that while the mast is above the water, the entire sub is still below the water and is much harder to detect visibly or by radar. Military submarines use several systems to communicate with distant command centers or other ships. One is very low frequency, or VLF radio, which can reach a submarine either on the surface or submerged to a fairly shallow depth, usually less than 250 feet or 76 meters. Extremely low frequency, or ELF, can reach a submarine at much greater depths, but has a very low bandwidth and are generally used to call a submerged sub to shallower depths where the very low frequency or VFL signal can reach. A submarine also has the option of floating a long, buoyant wire antenna to a shallow depth, allowing VLF transmissions by a deeply submerged submarine. By extending a radio mast, a submarine can also use a burst transmission technique. A burst transmission takes only a fraction of a second, minimizing a submarine's risk of detection. To communicate with other submarines, a system known as Gertrude is used. Gertrude is basically a sonar telephone. Voice communications from one submarine is transmitted by low-power speakers into the water, where it is detected by passive sonars on the receiving submarine. The range of the system is probably very short, and using it radiates sound into the water, which can be heard by the enemy. Civilian submarines can use similar, albeit less powerful, systems to communicate with support ships or other submersibles in the area. A typical nuclear submarine has a crew of over 80 Non-nuclear boats typically have a fewer than half as many 
The conditions on a submarine can be difficult because crew members must work in isolation for long periods of time without family contact. Submarines normally maintain radio silence to avoid detection. Operating a submarine is dangerous even in peacetime, and many submarines have been lost in accidents. Most navies prohibited women from serving on submarines, even after they've been permitted to serve on surface warships. The Royal Norwegian Navy became the first navy to allow female crew on its submarines in 1985. The Royal Danish Navy allowed female submariners in 1988. Others followed suit, including the Swedish Navy in 1989, the Royal Australian Navy in 1998, the German Navy in 2001, and the Canadian Navy in 2002. In 1995, Solveig Kree of the Royal Norwegian Navy became the first female officer to assume command on a military submarine, the HNOMS Koben. On December 8, 2011, British Defense Secretary Philip Hammond announced that the UK's ban on women in submarines was to be lifted from 2013. Previously, there were fears that women were more at risk from buildup of carbon dioxide in submarines. But a study showed that no medical reason to exclude women, though pregnant women should still be excluded. Similar dangers to the pregnant woman and her fetus barred females from submarine service in Sweden in 1983, when all other positions were made available for them in the Swedish Navy. Today, pregnant women are still not allowed to serve on submarines in Sweden. However, the policymakers thought that it was discriminatory with a general ban and demanded that females should be tried on their individual merits and have their suitability evaluated and compared to other candidates. Further, they noted that a female complying with such a high demand is unlikely to become pregnant. In May 2014, it was announced that three women had become the Royal Navy's first female submariners. Women have served on the U.S. Navy surface ships since 1993 and as of 2012 began serving on submarines for the first time. Until presently, the Navy only allowed three exceptions to women being on board military submersibles. Female civilian technicians for a few days at most, women midshipmen on an overnight during summer training for a Navy ROTC, and Naval Academy and family members for one-day dependent cruises. In 2009, senior officials, including then-Secretary of the Navy Ray Mabus, Joint Chiefs of Staff Admiral Michael Mullen and Chief Naval Operations Admiral Gary Rahan began to process of finding a way to implement females on board submarines. In 2011, the first classes of female submarine officers graduated from Naval Submarine School Submarine Office Basic Course at the Naval Submarine Base, New London. Additionally, more senior-ranking experienced female supply officers from the surface warfare specialty attended the SOBC as well and proceeded to fleet ballistic missile and guided missile submarines 
along with the new female submarine line officers, beginning in late 2011 and early 2012. Both U.S. and British navies operate nuclear-powered submarines that deploy for periods of six months or longer. Other navies that permit women to serve on submarines operate conventionally-powered submarines, which deploy for much shorter periods, usually only for one or two months. Prior to the recent change, the U.S., no nation using nuclear submarines permitted women to serve on board. In 2012, the U.S. Navy announced that 2013 is the first year that women will serve on U.S. attack submarines. In 2013, the U.S. Navy Secretary Ray Mabus said the first woman to join Virginia-class attack sub had been chosen. They were newly commissioned female officers scheduled to report to their subs in fiscal year 2015. On October 15, 2013, the U.S. Navy announced that two submarines, the USS Virginia and the USS Minnesota, would have female crew members by January 2015. With nuclear power or air-independent propulsion, the submarines can remain submerged for months at a time. Conventional diesel submarines must periodically resurface to snorkel or recharge their batteries. Most modern military submarines generate breathing oxygen by electrostasis of water. Atmosphere control equipment includes a CO2 scrubber, which uses an enemy absorbent to remove the gas from air and diffuse it into waste pumped overboard. A machine that uses a catalyst to convert carbon monoxide into carbon dioxide, removed by the CO2 scrubber, and bonds hydrogen produced from the ship's storage battery with oxygen in the atmosphere to produce water is also used. An atmosphere monitoring system samples the air from different areas of the ship for nitrogen, oxygen, hydrogen, R12 and R1114 refrigerants, carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide and other gases. Poisonous gases are removed and oxygen is replenished by use of oxygen bank located in the main ballast tank. Some heavier submarines have two oxygen bleed stations in the forward and the aft. The oxygen in the air is sometimes kept at a few percent less than atmospheric concentrations to reduce fire danger. Fresh water is produced by either an evaporator or reverse osmosis unit. The primary use for fresh water is to provide feed water for the reactors and steam propulsion plants. It is also available for showers, sinks, cooking and cleaning once propulsion plant needs have been met. Seawater is used to flush toilets and the resulting black water is stored in a sanitary tank until it is blown overboard using pressurized air or pumped overboard by using a specialized sanitary pump. The method for blowing sanitaries overboard is difficult to operate, and the German Type 7 seaboat U-1206 was lost with casualties because of a mistake with the toilet. Water from the showers and sinks is stored separately in gray water tanks, which are pumped overboard during the drain pump. 
trash on modern large submarines is usually disposed of using a tube called the Trash Disposal Unit, or TDU, where it is compacted into a galvanized steel can. At the bottom of the TDU is a large ball valve. An ice plug is set on top of the ball valve to protect it. The can atop the ice plugs. The top breech door is shut, and the TDU is flooded and equalized with sea pressure. The ball valve is open, and the can falls out, assisted by scrap iron weights in the can. The TDU is also flushed with seawater to ensure it is completely empty, and the ball valve is clear before shutting the valve. In an emergency, submarines can transmit a signal to other ships. The crew can use submarine escape immersion equipment to abandon the submarine. The crew can prevent a lung injury from the pressure change known as pulmonary by exhaling during ascent. The following escape from a pressurized submarine, the crew is at risk of developing decompression sickness. An alternative escape means is via a deep submerged rescue vehicle, which can dock onto the disabled submarine. A nuclear submarine is a submarine powered by a nuclear reactor. The performance advantage of nuclear submarines over conventional, typical diesel-electric submarines are considerable. Nuclear propulsion being completely independent of air frees the submarine from the needs of surface surfacing frequently, as it necessity for conventional submarines. The large amount of power generated by a nuclear reactor allows nuclear submarines to operate at high speeds for long periods of time, and the long interval between refueling grants a range limited only by consumables such as food. Current generations of nuclear submarines never need to be refueled throughout their 25-year lifespans. Conversely, the limited power stored in electric batteries mean that even the most advanced conventional submarine can only remain submerged for a few days at slow speed, and only a few hours at top speed. Recent advances in air-independent propulsions have eroded this advantage somewhat, and the high cost of nuclear technology means that relatively few states or countries have fielded nuclear submarines. Some of the most serious nuclear and radiation accidents ever to occur have involved Soviet nuclear submarine mishaps. The idea for a nuclear-powered submarine was first proposed by the Naval Research Laboratories Rosgun in 1939. The United States launched the USS Nautilus, the first nuclear submarine in 1954. Nautilus could remain underwater for up to four months without resurfacing. Construction of the Nautilus was made possible by the successful development of a nuclear propulsion plant by a group of scientists and engineers at the Naval Reactors Branch of the Atomic Energy Commission. In July 1951, the U.S. Congress authorized construction of the world's first nuclear-powered submarine, 
under the leadership of Captain Hyman G. Rickover, U.S. Navy. The Westinghouse Corporation was assigned to build its reactor. After the submarine was completed, Mamie Eisenhower broke the traditional bottle of champagne on Nautilus's bow. On January 17, 1955, it began its sea trials after leaving dock in Groton, Connecticut. The Nautilus was 320 feet long and cost about $55 million. The Soviets soon followed the United States in developing a nuclear-powered submarine in the 1950s. Stimulated by the U.S. development of the Nautilus, Soviet work on nuclear propulsion reactors began in the early 1950s at the Institute of Physics and Power Engineering in Obelisk under Antonio P. Androvov, later to become head of Kirkutov Institute. In 1956, the first Soviet propulsion reactor design by his team began operational testing. Meanwhile, a design team worked on the vessel that would house the reactor. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.